We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined by Kyle Porter, fresh off the golf beat. Uh, Kyle, if this tells you where I'm at with Tiger, I'm currently watching a Periscope broadcast of his range session today. <laughs> That's where I'm at. I like that the last like four PFB podcasts we've done have started off immediately with Tiger Talk. Yeah, I just got to get out of the way. Get out of my <laughs> No one around here wants to talk Tiger with me, so you're my only outlet. Man, he's he looks good. I mean, Masters, I'm fired up. Let's do it. Phil, Tiger. Yeah, you wrote a great piece about uh, the possible scenarios for CBS. People need to check that out on the what, what's your, Porter CBS Twitter account. What, what's, your, uh, what's your dream scenario? Oh, Sunday, Tiger, sun- Tiger and Phil. Tiger pairing. Yeah, I think that's Just it. Just back and forth. Uh, the... The history those two have, and just obviously the the stature those two have, would be just. Can you imagine? Like that that would like have to like break a record for largest gallery at the Masters, would it not? On a Sunday, it, it those would, two guys. It would be a joke. It'd be bad for me because I would. I don't know how I would follow it because you don't get inside the ropes at the Masters. So I would be just with everybody else, and it would be impossible. You'd be one of those people like climbing a tree to get a view or whatever <laughs> i guess they don't do that at the masters that's probably front on yeah that's that's not great you probably get yeah that'd be bad um well we got a lot to talk about combine ncaa tournament i'm so deep into the rpi talk that i don't even know like what i'm looking at anymore you tweeted yeah. out you tweeted out a video of joey brackets on yeah uh, let's 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 play that first and then get into it shall we yeah yeah, here we go. Oklahoma, Texas, Florida State, these are all tournament teams, but they're on the wrong side right now because why? Well, here's what their real record is at 18 and 13. Okay. They're really 11 and 13. How so? Because they have Fake news. Okay. Which is a staggeringly high number for a team in their spot. Arizona State, for instance, mm-hmm. just a couple. If the committee has been consistent about one thing mm-hmm. over the years... If you are right there on the cut line, whether you agree with this or not, they look at non-conference schedule. And people say, hey, but that that shows, that doesn't show what you can do when you play up. What it does show is you <laughs> missed an opportunity to maybe lose more games. Okay, can we start with the end? Because you missed an opportunity to maybe lose more games is a phrase that makes me want to just not be alive anymore. What does that even mean? You missed an opportunity to schedule better teams and lose more games, I guess, is what he's getting at. But it, but, but it, the, the whole thing is insane because it's all just arbitrary numbers. Like, And this has been my point is... If you're playing the hunt, uh, Tulane is like the 161st team in the RPI. Tulane stinks. They're 14 and 16. It's the same thing as playing Pepperdine. I mean, it's not the same, but you, you, either way, you should just hammer those teams. And yet, we're count like playing Tulane gets you way more traction with the RPI than playing and beating Pepperdine or Charlotte or some of the teams that Oklahoma state has played. So all of it is a function of how the teams you play did otherwise. It's not, I mean, when you're scheduling, there's no difference between Pepperdine and and San Francisco or whoever, like that they're all the same team. Right. And, And yet 
some teams' RPIs are higher, like Arizona State, which he was talking about, because Arizona State played San Francisco instead of Pepperdine. Those teams are in the same conference, um, and yet San Francisco was better than Pepperdine, and so Arizona State's RPI is better. That's a, just, it's just a silly th- way to go about things. No, the, the best point you've made consistently is once you get past 200 or even 175, 155, 150, I mean, those teams all stink. Like, in a, if they win a couple more games, they, they vault from 300 to 201, and that, that's supposed to be impressive. I just, I don't understand any of this. And his example was hilarious. Arizona State has played a, <laughs> they've played five cupcakes. So what are we even, what are we even discussing here? Arizona State played Idaho State, Northern Arizona, UC Irvine, San Francisco, Longwood, and, <laughs> and Pacific. <laughs> Like I'm supposed to be impressed by that? He said a couple. They played five. Well, so I this this is asinine to me. And I I had an OU student get in my mentions last night. He was breaking down quadrants, the record against <laughs> quadrant three versus quadrant four. They had four, they had four quadrant four. Like quadrant three and quadrant four both stink. Who cares? Yeah. How did you do against quadrant one and two? Well, that's and all I really care about. That's. PFB Nate has been beating that drum. And I, I've got a stat for you here, Carson. I was looking at RPI, and which, by the way, RPI, for people that don't know, 75% of it is, or 50%, I, I don't remember, is based on how teams you play did against other teams and then how those teams did against other teams. It's, it's insane. Like the fact that we're using this as like the gospel for getting into uh, the NCAA tournament. But uh, Oklahoma State's RPI right now is not good, it's 88. I've got a team who's ranked ahead of them uh, at RPI 85, so three spots ahead of Oklahoma State. That team is Toledo. Uh, Oklahoma State's 18 and 13. Toledo is 20 and 10, Carson. They have uh, one quadrant one or two win, and it was over uh, Penn. They beat Penn 85 to 72. The 124th RPI team is Penn, and that's who Toledo beat. Uh, they lost to Kansas by 38. They lost to Buffalo. They lost to Syracuse. They lost to Ball State, and they lost to Eastern Michigan. Those are their best losses. Every other game that they played is a quadrant three or four game. So all their other wins and losses are in quadrants three and four. So they were one and five in quadrants one and two, and that was against Penn was their win, and they lost to Kansas by 40. And they're ranked ahead of Oklahoma State. That's asinine. That's you know what? Insane. You know what? You know what? RPI reminds me of Kyle. It, it takes me back to 2011, when you would have analysts, poll members discussing total defense for OSU. It's like, well, mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, their total defense is terrible. They're not a. They're they're all offense, no defense, and they don't use an actual metric that makes any sense in today's age with points per drive, yards per play, all the stuff we get into with football. RPI reminds me of like total defense. It's yeah. A total. Yeah. That's a arbitrary great, old stat that we just rely on that makes no sense in today's college basketball. It's and, a great point. And again, you're right. I mean, who did you beat? It should be that simple. OSU has more quality wins than any other bubble team. I think they have the most against Quadrant One of any bubble team. OU has six. Uh, OSU has five, based on what I've read. And 
PFP Nate's been all over this too. I mean, he's he's turning into a must-follow for this this bubble talk. <laughs> he said OSU has played 16 games against top 50 opponents. It will be 17 after they play OU. Good luck finding a bubble team even close to that number. Like that that's the deal with me is even when you're talking like forget about St. Bonaventure and and teams in St. Mary's and teams like that. When you're comparing OSU to even Arizona State, who plays in the weak Pac-12, <laughs> weak. They they didn't like in USC did didn't beat anybody of note. They have no ranked. They didn't beat one ranked team all year, and somehow USC is supposed to be better than Oklahoma State. And well, I, I go that back, makes no sense. I go back to Texas. Oklahoma State and Texas are the same team. They're the exact same team. They have the exact same resumes. They both beat each other 65-64. They're both five and ten uh, in quadrant one games. Uh, Oklahoma State's four and three in quadrant two. Texas is three and three, and they're both ten and zero in quadrant three and four games. They're the exact same team. So, what is your justification for putting Texas in and not Oklahoma State? They they have to go whether they're in or out. They have to go the same place. Don't tell me that because Texas scheduled Lipscomb. Lipscomb, who's 103rd in the RPI, 15 spots behind Oklahoma State, because they because Lipscomb played like Duke and all these teams that they got beat by 50 by. Don't tell me that because Texas beat Lipscomb that they're in the NCAA tournament. That's asinine. That is that is an insane way to determine all of this, and yet that's kind of where we're at right now. Well, and shouldn't their quadric quadrant one wins be compared i would venture to guess osu's has more impressive quadrant one wins that they beat more higher ranked teams i mean texas didn't beat kansas osu beat them twice kansas might be a number one seed so i think you got to compare just how high those quadrant one teams are as well so and i love the the ou kid that was coming after me like ou and osu have like almost the exact same non-conference schedule the only difference that you pointed out was what like ball state and well, it, yeah, or, again, it, it's 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 games where you're talking about, well, this team was ranked 178th and the other team was ranked 304th. They're the same team. It, it, they're not it, any good. Yeah, like Tulane's 161st. They're, they're 14 and 16. Tulane stinks. If you're well, a tournament team, you should beat Tulane. I mean, it, it – yeah. And here's the ironic part. Like, OSU went out and scheduled people. Arkansas. A and M, Florida State, and they and Mike Boynton was on the Sports Animal today, and he pointed out they, they scheduled Pitt two years ago. Two years ago, Jamie Dixon was at Pitt, or I guess he might have just left, but they were still in the ACC Power Five school. Actually, they didn't even schedule Pitt. That's the point he made. They were in that tournament. They didn't even choose to play Pitt. Yeah, and and they didn't know going into that tournament that Pitt was going to have the worst season they've ever had. Right. And, and he pointed out Charlotte, who they beat. Fired their coach the day after they played them, and like that, that puts that program in a total tailspin. So there's so many things that are completely out of OSU's control. They played and beat them, like to dock them for that, as opposed to looking at. And that's the thing. Just we're breaking down like non-conference schedules. Shouldn't more weight be put what you did in conference? Like when you're playing, you know, a conference schedule, and especially playing in the Big Twelve, where you know, not Kansas. We can argue how good they are, but from top to bottom, they could get. They have nine teams with a legitimate case to get in the NCAA tournament. You should be rewarded for playing that schedule, but somehow they're not. Here are Texas's Quadrant 1 wins. TCU at home, Tech at home, at OU, Butler on a neutral court, and Alabama uh, at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I 
I'd put OSU's above that, wouldn't you? Uh, I'm about to read it for I mean, you. Alabama's on the bubble now, aren't they? Oklahoma State at Kansas, Kansas at home, Tech at home, at West Virginia, and Florida State on a neutral court. That's it, that's better. Yeah. Yeah. So and and again, when when you start comparing them to USC and UCLA, those teams beat like USC beat no ranked teams. UCLA, I want to say, beat like one or two, and OSU beat what six? They were ranked at the time. That's the other thing that bothers me about this is they say ranked teams don't matter. Well, if you beat a ranked team, obviously they're going to slide in the in the you know their body of work. Like you you hurt their resume by beating them. That's that's the nonsense we get into with all this. But uh, USC's two best wins: Middle Tennessee State on a neutral court. And New Mexico State on a neutral court. Exactly. How is that even a debate? Utah away and Oregon away. Are there other quadrant one wins? It's embarrassing. <laughs> Did you see uh, Mike Boynton dropped a uh, society today in his press conference on Saturday? No. It was a Gundy. It was a. It was right out of the Gundy playbook. He was. We, li- about, we, we live in a society. Is that what yeah, you said? Yeah. He said he was talking about Mitchell Solomon, and he said, you know, this the story of Mitchell Solomon is one that should be told, but that's not where we're at in society today. <laughs> Gundy's been going to the games. He's rubbing off on him. Oh, I died. I read it, and I just. It was so good. It was so funny. I hope he, uh, Boynton's going to take the mic after he beats OU and says, Joe Lenardi. You don't have a child, but if you had a child, you'd understand. Uh, is is when the when your, when your student athlete comes home talking about quadrant one, then you'd understand. <laughs> is Bedlam a play-in game to the NCAA tournament? Uh, Doug Gottlieb says it is. He was on the radio th- this week saying it is. I. I think OU's in. I mean, as much as as poorly as they've played, and I, again, I, I, I think it would be hard for me to put them in the way they've played down the stretch. But you just put their resume up; it's it's as good or better than OSU's. Now, if OSU, and you, I know OSU, if, be, if they beat them, there'll be two wins over them. But they don't look at it that way. OSU lost twice to TCU, and we would all agree that you know there's TC, TCU has a worse resume than OSU, right? TCU? No. Yeah. They have a better resume? Than Oklahoma State? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. TCU is number 20 in the RPI. Well, I'm just saying, you know, head to head, they don't they don't factor that in. But I I I, 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 I think OSU is trending up, Kyle. Yeah. I mean, they weren't I, even on the first four out this time last week. Now they're on the first four out. I think if they beat OU, they might get in. I'm fine with OU being in. I, I, I don't – I mean, they've got six quadrant one wins. I'm looking at it right now. Kansas at home. At Wichita State, that's a big win. At TCU, uh, TCU at home, Tech at home, and then on a neutral uh, at a neutral site against USC. So that that's pretty solid. And, and I just I don't know. I think that I I don't really get into the which way you're trending. I think it you have to look at the total body of work. What you did in December matters as much as what you do now. Um, and I just it, it's hard for me to exclude. To me, all those Big Twelve teams that are eight and ten are the same. Like they're, yeah. they're so it's almost like you have to include all of them or or include none of them. But I I just don't see how you include one over the other. I agree. So it's it's maddening. Um, 
do you want to talk combine now or should we uh yeah what you want to do that yeah okay it's time for the Coop Works guest of the week. Coop Works brewing great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the Bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, or the refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coop Works. And please remember to drink responsibly. Uh, Carson, who are we calling today? Our uh, combine guru, uh, Adam Lunt. I'm sure he might have some thoughts on the bubble too, but we'll call him break down the combine. No one's no one is more immersed in this than him. All right, joining us right now is Adam Lunt. He I think he is locked away in his his office grinding on some <laughs> uh, combine times, some forty, some some three cone drills. Uh, Adam, how was your uh, weekend of watching the NFL Combine? It's pretty good. Uh, I, I will say I'm not uh, as much of a nerd to watch three cone uh, drills. So unfortunately, I was not able to to see Jordan Thomas break the record. So I'm not I'm not to that level of nerd yet. So, um, but uh, no, it was good. Uh, I had a lot of stuff going on this weekend, so I had to DVR a lot of the a lot of the combine, but was able to check out most of it. And uh, it was uh, <laughs> it was it was fun and extremely boring at the same time to watch. So uh, it was what? a good weekend though. What uh, stood out to you most or maybe surprised you most about the OSU guys? I mean, I think it's got to be Trey Flowers running a 4-4-5. I mean, that's a great time for him. Um, you know, he was kind of on the map, um, you know, as, as maybe a mid-round prospect. And I, I think certainly think that uh, helped him out um, overall. Um, I, you know, I think from an overall perspective from the five guys that came, it was a you know, pretty underwhelming performance, I guess. I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot that surprised me. Um, but I would say if I had to pick one for sure, I mean, Flowers really, really tested, you know, kind of off the charts almost for him. So uh, he, he had a, certainly from a test perspective, not considering the on-field stuff, a, a really good weekend, or I guess a really good Monday. Um, so that, that definitely stood out for sure. How was Trey Flowers faster than James Washington? <laughs> it's a good question, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's 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 like you go back to how speed is perceived on a football field, and James Washington wins in a, in a few specific areas that make him seem fast, and he is fast because you know when you c- combine his actual speed with his technique, he's a fast football player. But you know when you're sitting there just timing people running on a football field, you know he may not be as fast as as others. So that's why it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. Um, but I wasn't overly surprised that flowers ran that well. I mean, you know, I always kind of thought he was fast and he's not a, he's not an enforcer type safety. You know, he's not a, um, one of those big, strong safeties. That's two twenty five, two thirty. I think he was like two Oh five. So, um, four, four, five is definitely fast for him, but uh, I wasn't totally shocked because of it. So, uh, you know, James Washington should have consulted me on how to run his 40. What he should have done is have Mason Rudolph line up right next to him and launch the football about 75 yards or as far as he can throw it and have Washington just try and go track the ball down. Because I always remember what Remington Rebstock told us in that Washington's the only guy he's ever seen that when the ball's in the air, he's able to speed up. Most guys, as you mentioned, with their skill sets, have to track the ball might slow down. That's where I think Washington wins all those foot races. Is He should have had Mason just throw it as far as he can try and track it down right well i mean it's it's true um, so where james washington wins and this is obviously my opinion but i think you could ask just about anyone is 
is not just pure speed. It's it's being able to first win on the line of scrimmage, but there, there's a thing called stacking, which is basically, <laughs> for in layman's terms, it's pretty much like when there's two cars running beside each other, you cut the other car off and get in front of it. So you're you're dictating the route. And he stacks better than any other receiver in in this draft class, in my opinion, which enables him to keep that um, high end speed. Because, you know, when you're running side by side, what's the corner trying to do? Well, they're trying to, you know, stick their arm out, slow down and, and get a feel for where you're at while trying to track the ball. Well, he has a nice arm swipe. He stacks really well. So it enables him to keep that high end speed, um, which for other receivers that may be faster than him, they're not able to get there because they don't have the hands because they can't stack as well as he can. Um, and, and he can track a ball as good as I've ever seen. I mean, not having to, he made a, he made an incredible catch on a vertical route on the combine where, uh, they do this on purpose where they throw the ball, um, over your right shoulder. So it's like, uh, like you're on the right-hand side, and then they throw it over your right-hand shoulder. So you have to look almost directly up, and he was able to track the ball. So, you know, him running that a little bit slower of a 40 wasn't really a concern, in my opinion, um, just for the fact that he wins in those specific areas that makes him play faster, if that makes sense. So, um, But I'm with you with the ball. I mean, throw it up, and he'll go get it. <laughs> so, Was there anybody – in your opinion, that sort of lost ground in terms of where they were maybe projected to be drafted coming in, and and you you go you you walk away from the combine saying, well, they might have lost some money, might have dropped a round or two or something like that. I would probably say that that it was, Rudolph had the worst combine in my opinion, um, and it, it's kind of weird saying because he you know on the surface you know there's not a lot of chatter. Um, but he ran pretty well in the 40, you know, the vertical was not good. Um, he just didn't look as I was, I guess maybe I had higher expectations. I don't know. Um, but there's a lot of people that like Rudolph. There's a lot of people that don't like Rudolph. Um, I think me coming away from that, he wasn't as sharp as I wanted him to be. Um, there was a real structured throwing environment where, you know, there's no pressure, there's no, uh, you know, it's just you throwing a ball to a receiver. And uh, I was hoping for a little bit more precision from him. And I think that kind of got noticed um, as well. So I don't really think any of the players hurt themselves significantly. Um, but I, if I had to choose one, it would probably be Rudolph. You did enjoy, though, how, how salty Mason was when he was questioned <laughs> about being a spread quarterback in uh, the Big 12, right? I did. And, and, you know, good for him. Uh, and, and, you know, I totally agree with you about his personality with, you know, him not necessarily being this choir boy, like everyone thinks, I think, uh, you know, he's, he's got an edge to him. Um, and although, you know, he may have done a, a better job of behaving than Baker Mayfield in college. Um, you know, I, I like, I like him coming out and, and defending himself. Um, you know, you can only get beat up so much without, um, you know, ha- you know, kind of coming back with a few shots, and he's right. I mean, if you go look at that Colorado secondary, three of the four guys in that secondary are going to be NFL players, and he roasted him. And James Washington like put all those guys in a body bag. So, um, <laughs> so you know, I, you know, it's not one of those things where you can say, oh, well, we beat up on Colorado. I mean, you know, Alabama fans are probably laughing at that. But when you de- dig deeper into it. There's a lot of pros on on Virginia Tech's defense. 
You know, they got one or two first-rounders coming. Um, there's a lot of pros in the secondary of Colorado, so there is some merit to what he's saying, and, and frankly, I'm happy he said it. So, What uh, What was I going to ask? I can put, oh, uh, how funny was it to see Baker Mayfield throwing passes to James Washington? It, it felt weird. <laughs> <laughs> it felt really weird. Uh, and, and how weird, I don't know if you guys got to see um, – both Rudolph and Mayfield, um, you know, kind of dropping back like a, a mimic under center. Uh, and May, uh, Mayfield's got a real awkward drop back, um, and it just looked weird. So th- those are two things that kind of stood out in terms of, uh, you know, Mayfield throwing some balls to to James Washington. I, I tweeted out saying that was a horrible pass and a great catch, and there was like a bunch of OU fans that didn't get the joke that I was just being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> that's so shocking. That's par I'm, I par can't, for the course. Right? I can't believe that <laughs> happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That that was bizarro world, and I, I do agree with Mason. And one of the things he said was, you know, NFL teams are moving towards spread offenses. You, all you had to do was watch the Super Bowl and listen to Al Michaels and Chris Collins were freak out about an RPO as if it was just created <laughs> uh, this year. They, they never. It was just total innovation when OSU's been doing that for years. That's the thing that bugs me about just the Big Twelve. Um, the knock, I guess, of being a Big Twelve quarterback is NFL teams are running spread concepts and. I think you're seeing that throughout the NFL. So I, I agree with Mason that that's total nonsense. There's, yeah, there's no question. I mean, the most popular plays, if you think about, um, so Corey Clement had a significant impact on the Super Bowl. Uh, he's the, Here's like their third string running back. And they were all on vertical routes in the passing game. And you look at who utilizes, you know, the, the running back in the passing game better than anyone and it's it's Lincoln Riley when I think about it. I mean, think about all of the touchdown passes to Dimitri Flowers and and their stable of running backs. And you know, there, the play um, there's one play that was really popular in that the Super Bowl game, and that was a Chip Kelly play that they just kept over and they kind of modified a little bit. Um, so and I'm, Chip Kelly is definitely not associated with any type of pro concepts. Um, so you know, it's. I say it the same way. There's a bunch of guys that are seven years old that have been involved in NFL football for 40 years, and they hate the spread offense epidemic, and they're trying to build this barrier between college football and NFL, and the barrier keeps getting smaller and smaller by the day, but you know they keep trying to build it up to something that it's not, and you know that's what you get is this stigma from you know from everyone that there's there's this huge difference, which uh, there is, but it's not as big as is people make it out to be so what what order do you think the five oklahoma state players get drafted in uh i mean we so does, does so washington go is, first yeah so i'll go i'll go washington rudolph aitman flowers and and this is a little bit of a curveball but i'm gonna go brad lundblade with fifth Mm. Um, and then well, I, I think, I bet Lacey probably goes undrafted. Um, but I, I think, uh, I think Lundblade is, uh, uh, is going to be a, a, a good player. Like I think he'll get, it probably would be better if he went undrafted so you can kind of pick and choose where he goes. Yeah. But I think I absolutely expect him to be on a roster, um, next year. I think he's a, a top seven or eight center, um, which, you know, centers kind of get the, 
you know, the redheaded stepchild treatment of the offensive lineman, um, if you will. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think uh, Lundblade's kind of running or you know uh, under the radar because he didn't get a combine invite, he didn't get a Senior Bowl invite. But it, I, I believe he was at the East West Shrine game, um, and and he played really well there. So a little bit of a, a curveball for you guys there. But I, I, I would say those five in that order, and then Lacey would be a very highly sought out undrafted free agent probably crabtree there as well and then you know from then on with the others so how, how did Lacey get a combine invite <laughs> does he good, have a really good agent i think what? adam i think adam want petitioned for it <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean i'm a big chris Lacey fan but i i do think it was probably because i i think he, he had an agent that was really active and um you know i mean i i i think it's a lot to do with the reputation and the fact that you know, OSU's probably sending two of the what, top 12 wide receivers. Um, so, I mean, I think that's that's positive. And also, too, he was injured. I mean, there's some other stuff. So, uh, But it's weird. He got an invite to the Combine, but I swear, I think no one knows who he is. So I think it probably had more to do with the fact that his agent was petitioning, um, you know, to get him out there as well. So, I, I, But I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. What what was the most uh, non OSU eye popping thing that you saw? Was it the uh, sh- what's the guy's name? Shaquem Griffin. That was pretty impressive. I mean, what a good story. I'm definitely rooting for that kid. My my uh, favorite. If people didn't see it, he he basically bench pressed two twenty five twenty times. He's got one hand. He he's he's missing his left hand essentially, and he used a prosthetic. My favorite was people like sliding into uh, other people's Twitter mentions and being like, well, technically this is actually easier when you only have one hand. And it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, that's outrageous. And then I heard the same thing with, oh, he ran faster because he has less weight from his hand. I'm like, that's outrageous. That's literally the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, there's always someone picking at something. Um, but to answer your question, I would honestly say um, the thing that surprised me most was that – have you guys heard about that tight end from Penn State? I think it's, his name is Giusecki. Um And he was a guy that I had heard of before. Um, he was a pretty good player for, for Penn State, but he just blew the doors off like every metric. He, yeah. I think he was the um, – he's been like one of the uh, – like have you guys seen those those nets that they do? Where they they do the percentiles and it looks like like, like a spider web. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, his spider web is like completely full. He's it's in like a, it's like, like a 90, circle. Yeah, and it's like the, he's in the, like the ninety percentile in every single um, every single category except weight, and that's wow. like the sixtieth percentile. So, and Penn State guys balled out. Like there was a um, the the reign of. Um, white cornerbacks in the NFL might be over because uh, you guys remember Jason Seahorn? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, as far as I remember, there hasn't been a white cornerback in the NFL since him. So that's been like 12 or 13 years. And then there's a, a defensive back um, from Penn State that is white that ran like a 4-3-6, and Deion Sanders was all gushing Jeez. about him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that that streak may be over. So, I don't, you know, that, that was definitely interesting. And then, you know, Saquon Barkley – dude's a freak you know so penn state guys whoever their strength and conditioning coach is getting a raise this offseason for sure um those guys definitely uh stood out which you know is really ruining my big 10 bash <laughs> um opinion so, i'm with you yeah 
That's my ego took a hit this weekend. Well, you so. know who didn't do well was uh, you know Rob Glass needs a needs a raise because Ben Grogan benched the same amount of reps as Orlando Brown. <laughs> that true. And, and, and Jordan I, I, Thomas only did four reps. I had forgotten about that until you brought until you brought up Ben Grogan again, uh, Carson. I saw you tweet that and. I, I think the, the more amazing thing than Orlando Brown only doing 14 is that Ben Grogan did 14. Like that he, that I mean, he looks like he couldn't do like one, doesn't he? Right. Yeah. I think legitimately uh, Orlando Brown is almost twice as heavy. Like, and I'm not. That's not an ex, um, exaggeration. Like, I think Grogan's probably like one 170, 175, and Orlando Brown lost weight to get down to 345. So legitimately. <laughs> almost twice as as heavy as him and and you know people will bring up the long arm argument which you know there's a little bit of a merit to that but not that much um so i you know he, he was a he was an interesting story i mean it was a bad performance all around and 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 you know even worse on i was watching some of the on-field stuff um and he just kind of seemed disinterested so i, I don't know i don't know what was going on with him but it, it was a very bad workout and bad enough to where i think it's you know, certainly going to play a role in, in terms of where he's drafted uh, in a significant fashion. So, so ideally, short arms and no hands for the bench press is what you want. <laughs> apparently, apparently, <laughs> yeah, and in the forty because you know it'll help you less uh, with, uh, with yeah, uh, not as not as heavy. So, <laughs> if you had to wager on it, would you say Washington goes in the first round or second? I'd probably say early second. I really like him at, in Carolina at twenty four. But Carolina has a bunch of needs. Um, so I would say, I mean, the good news for him is there's a lot of teams that need receivers. Um, but the problem with that is the teams that need receivers in the first round are like around 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. And I just, I don't know if he's viewed as someone that would go that high. And then there's kind of like a 10-pick gap where – there's a lot of team like I think the last team would be maybe the Bills at 21 um, that, that would look to draft receiver and then there's a lot of teams there's a big run of teams that don't necessarily need um, receivers so you know I, I think there's going to be a, a big gap there where he's either taken in the middle of the first round or potentially at 24 and then may drop to like 35 to 40 after that so my guess would probably be somewhere in the first 10 picks of the um of the second round would be my guess. I, I think the guy that intrigues me is uh, is Aitman, and I know we we mentioned him earlier, but uh, I, you know, he wasn't great at the combine. His hands are small. I think they're smaller than Rudolph's, which is surprising. Uh, he didn't run a good forty, and yet I watched him last year, and I'm like, this guy's unbelievable, and 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 in a way that makes you think he can be really good at in the NFL as well. It it, it didn't. It never with with Aitman, It never felt like, oh wow, he's the product of this spread system and a lot of yards. Like it always felt like he was, like all of his yards and touchdowns and catches were very much earned. Uh, what, how do you how do you sort of reconcile the fact that he wasn't great at the combine with the fact that he has been really good at Oklahoma State over the course of his career? I see. I think he was fine at the combine. I mean, I, I think um, in the preview I did for the site, I said if he could get in the high four or fives. That would be good. Um, I think it was four six two or four six three. His his um, vertical's not great, thirty three or so. But I mean, in my opinion, that's how he plays. Um, he's not a burner. 
Um, he's a guy that I think is a, is a pretty good route runner for someone that's not super explosive and a dynamic athlete. Um, and if you look at his contested catches in the red zone, like his, you know, those catches in uh, against Iowa State or um, against OU, I mean, he's not going up way high and getting these balls. Or, or if he is, it's because his his catch radius is so massive. I mean, he's got long arms and he's he's almost six five, so he's a guy that can use his size to his, his advantage. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to go up and, and be a high riser um, and, and be able to go up and get those balls because of his vertical, I think he does a really good job with his body um, and, and his hands, all the receivers, OSU do a tremendous job with their hands. In my opinion, like you can tell Casey Dunn, that's a huge emphasis for them. Um, but you know, when I watched him, I wasn't surprised. I, I this is exactly, I think Marcel Aitman, at the combine did exactly what he did during the season. And that's, you know, a reasonably good route runner for his, his athleticism. He uses his size and his hands to his advantage to be able to go up and get those contested catches. So, you know, he didn't, it would have been nice if he could have alleviated some of those concerns um, with the separation um, with maybe like a four, five, five or four, five, three or something like that somewhere around Washington. But I think a four, six, two or four, six, three is a, is a is a uh, fine time for him in regards to his game. You know, he's not going to be someone that's going to burn you down the field. So that that's kind of where I think he stands. The draft is in your backyard this year in Dallas. Are you going to go? Yeah, I'll, I'll d- definitely there for um, the first night. The second night is now in question, which uh, is unfortunate, but um, which kind of which kind of stinks because uh, I have a feeling more most of the OSU guys will come off the board on the second night but i will definitely be there for thursday so i'm excited you know where your trey flowers jersey <laughs> i gotta get one first so i might have to i, I have might have to go over there yeah i, I want to go I, I think i'm off on thursdays so i might i might head down and join y'all carson you gotta some, make sure some coop. so you yeah. gotta make sure i think the jets pick at six so you gotta make sure i'm boo extra hard because you know that's their thing is, is the jets are never happy about their pick it's gonna so. be baker I, I, well, the funny thing is, is I think I think it will. Like I, I think that's a good landing spot for him, uh, especially if they lose out on Cousins. So, uh, so for for any OSU fans, it would be a natural, you know, natural boo for the well, player. Baker the will Baker will put the boos on draft night under his, on his list of uh, slights. <laughs> he can just add he's, that to his NFL slights. He's Car- used to it, so he'll enjoy it. Carson, do you think that uh, could you beat Mason Rudolph in a forty-yard dash right now? What did he run? Four nine, four nine zero. Oof, I don't know. That'd be close. I probably could. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm shorter. Got quicker feet. Uh, bigger <laughs> not, hands. Not as much weight. In <laughs> I want to say I ran it probably ten years ago, and I, I was, I was in Rich Eisen territory. I was probably f- high fives, five eight, five nine, maybe six flat, somewhere <laughs> in there. So I would, I would be, uh, um, I would probably be ten yards behind Mason Rudolph at the. It, it, if it was over five, I'd be more confident. Four nine sounds like he was moving a little. Although he, Mason just kind of looks awkward, I guess, when he runs because he's so tall. But he, uh, I don't know. He, I might have to. I might have to do a, a self test. Yeah, we were talking about having a PFB combine. Well, the hardest part's the timing, right? They have like the they have like the electronic timing. We don't have that at our disposal. It's human error. So we need, uh, yeah, Bill Belichick out there with his. You like the, the quick, quick trigger finger on that. With his, who would you guys, uh, who would you guys over. win? Would would you beat Rich Eisen and R- Roger Goodell between your between you three? Who would win? 
Oh, I got those two. I'm more worried <laughs> about the actual athletes than Rich Eisen or Roger yeah, Goodell. But, but in a suit. Because what did, didn't didn't Rich Eisen run a five nine in a suit? Both did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Goodell I don't know ran like a five five, I think, in a suit. Wow. But he had he had he had like athletic shoes on. I guess Rich Eisen did too. So it's not yeah. like he's wearing. He had a suit on, but not. Well, I guess people these days wear like sneakers with suits, anyways. But, uh, <laughs> but both of them had, um, you know, athletic shoes on, running shoes. If so. you could pick, last question I got for you, Adam. Like, if you could pick where Mason would go, like the the perfect situation, or just ideally, where would you like to see him to go? I think. Um, I mean, there's a there's a handful of teams, and really, you can just uh, summarize it as a team that can sit him for two years. <laughs> so, if if you can find that, that would be ideal. Um, I, I think I like the I like the Chargers or the um, the Saints. Saints would be great. The problem is, is I don't necessarily know if the picks align, like with his value and their needs. Um, I don't know if they align well. I, I so those would probably be my top two. Um, I don't like him in the Northeast because of his hands, and I don't know. I just get nervous about him with a <laughs> wet football for obvious reasons. So, um, so you're talking about two Southern teams. Um, I can't remember if the Chargers are building a dome or not, but you know they're at the StubHub Park for another year and before they're until they're. I'm pretty sure it's a dome. So that's two dome teams in in the you know in the South region of the united states i know the bills have a lot of interest in him which would be oh no probably the worst fit <laughs> oh no the blizzard coming in exactly so they have two picks back to back 21 and 22 in the first round and then they have two picks in the second round and they've shown interest in both james washington and mason rudolph so that would be not a and also too who knows what happens with tyrod taylor he may get thrown in there in the middle of the season um which would be uh, catastrophic i think I, I think he really needs to sit for a while so um so you know any of the pits pittsburgh would be okay new england would be i know everyone would go wild over the the patriots but i still have that that weather in the back of my mind um scheme wise i definitely think new england would be a good fit um and, and Pittsburgh too. So uh, you know, those are all good, good ones. But I think my top two would be Saints and, and Chargers, probably. Maybe Jacksonville too. You could throw that in there because Blake Bortles signed that extension, but that um, it's it's basically like a one or two year extension. They can they can unload him um, with with not a lot of restrictions if he um, if he turns into Blake Bortles of two or three years ago. So um, so maybe that would be another team that would be on, on the lookout for him. I so. think the thing I have a difficult time sort of just reconciling is is having watched Whedon basically every Whedon throw for two years and then every Rudolph throw for four years and you look at what Whedon did in the NFL and you're like wow that was you know didn't didn't really work out you know obviously and I I just I just have a difficult time seeing Rudolph being better than that does that does that make sense and 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 is that just a function of just where you end up you know, like I know all, so much of what happens is based on fit and who's around you and organization and, and different things like that. But how, how do you uh, I don't know. How, how do you compare Whedon with Rudolph and, and just kind of their trajectories into the NFL? Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, obviously with the age um, is, you know, a significant factor. Um, I don't really understand uh, what happened with Whedon. I mean, I think the problem with him was 
you know, the mental processing was a little bit slow. It, it's it's totally different, I think, because when you look at their skill sets, you know, Whedon had all the arm talent in the world, um, but he had not all. He he really wasn't and you know fast, but he also wasn't great in the pocket either. Um, you know, I think there's a difference. You look at Tom Brady, who's probably got to be the slowest quarterback in the league, but he's he's great with pocket feel and subtle pocket movements left or right to buy time. Um, and and Whedon could have been able to generate that without even being fast, and he just that that wasn't one of his strengths. So what you'd see was a lot of you know a lot of sacks and a lot of him being rushed into throws, things of that nature. Whereas Mason. That's one of his strengths. You know, pocket presence is something he's really strong at. You know, he lacks top-level athleticism, but, you know, he has a really good feel for the pressure. Um, he's athletic enough to break away from, from that pressure. So he has that ability to buy more time. So I think, that, you know, in terms of comparisons, those don't align well. Um, but also, too, we had a bigger arm. Um, but in my opinion, I'd rather have Rudolph's skill set of someone that can have better pocket presence versus someone that can throw, you know, uh, eighty-yard ball. You know, because that's just not—I uh, just don't think it's that relevant in the, in the in the actual game. So, to answer your original question, I think if it, it's kind of a guessing game. I mean, you got to find someone that is willing to to coach him up on these uh, on these new concepts that he's going to get thrown into, and then hopefully he'll have some time. You know, a year. or or hopefully two years to be able to digest that, which Whedon didn't have that. I mean, his his clock was ticking. <laughs> uh, you know, Whedon had a very small time period where he could play. You know, I mean, like, let's say six to seven years, whereas Rudolph coming in at 22, 23 years old, he's going to have a bigger leash in terms of learning. Um, so there's some differences. A lot, of it, a lot of it is just coming into the right coaching staff and having the right mentality and letting the players develop. Um, you know, if you look at like Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he just signed a massive contract. They let him come in and learn. And and then all of a sudden, you know, you throw him into the fire and he does really well. Whereas if they would have thrown him into the first season, you know, who knows what happened, even with, you know, even with the, the Patriots. And I, I know he played a few games, but, you know, the, uh, so I, I think it's kind of a sliding scale, but um, I think the difference was is hopefully he'll be able to sit for a few years, you know, figure it out and then get thrown into the fire and he'll be in much better position than, than we never was. So. Yeah. Okay. Real I think, quick. I think, I think Mason's going to the Patriots. Mm. They like, uh, they like their dreamboat quarterbacks, oh Garoppolo, Brady, uh, Zach Robinson. There's no issue connection there. Belichick, T uh, might, might still have an affinity for, uh, they're at 40. So they're at 43. So, I mean, that's, it's probably right in the meat where he, he probably will get taken somewhere in between 25 and 50, somewhere in there. So Mason Patriots wore a glove in West Virginia, so he might wear two gloves in New England. And he threw well. So he threw well. Who knows? You know, but I guess I guess the he struggled in the hot environment, so maybe I'm completely wrong. You know? <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, I the, sweaty, the, sweaty, the sweaty hand yeah. game in Texas. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I went over behind the bench to see what in the world was going on. <laughs> What is happening over here? Real quick before <laughs> before Adam goes, let's get to this week's uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I want to hear both of y'all's 30-second uh, takes on James Washington signing with Adidas. Go ahead, Adam. Uh, yeah, I'm not happy about it. Um, <laughs> 
And I mean, Marcel Aitman signed with Nike, so I guess one for two isn't bad. But uh, you know, I I don't like Adidas. I don't buy Adidas stuff. Um, I was, uh, you know, I, ju- I just remember sitting there trying to find I'm a Mavericks fan, so trying to find like a Mavericks shirt I could buy when the NBA was sponsored by Adidas, and I couldn't find one for like two years. So um, Adidas is, you know, they've made waves and they've tried, but it's just it's just not good. So you know, get, go get paid, James Washington. I'm happy for you, but I. I will not buy your apparel because of you. So it, it doesn't stand out to me as much in football as it does in basketball and other sports. But uh, I heard Dusty Dvorak talking about this when he signed Reebok, offered him the most money, so he signed with Reebok, <laughs> and they like they like hurt his feet and the, the gear was ter- they shipped him all this gear. He didn't like it. He, he took less money to go to Nike. That's what yeah. I would do. I would take less money and just be Nike. I I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Has 100%. Rudolph? Has Rudolph? I would sign with Under Armour. By the way, has Rudolph signed with anybody? Not that I'm aware of. I could see him uh, just just following Under Armour. What? You're, you're ripping Adidas, <laughs> and you're gonna wear Under Armour? Yeah, I've been hanging Bra- out with Spieth too much. Brady, Spieth. Only reason Steph, Brady wears is Steph they Curry. Him, they paid him the the economic uh, growth of Guam to get. Bri- <laughs> probably more than that. Bryce Harper, gross domestic Cam- product of Guam. Cam Newton. Not to get all financial on everyone, but Under Armour stock is in the in the tank. So their their efforts to sign Steph Curry and Spieth and all the and Brady uh, haven't necessarily paid off in the revenue category. I'd so. I'd be I'll go even a step further. I'd be okay with uh, Chad Weiberg switching Oklahoma State from Nike to Under Armour. Oh my Carson. god! No. <laughs> that's ridiculous. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Chad, if don't you're e- listening to this, just turn it off. Turn the podcast yeah, don't even, off. Don't even put that in his head. I remember when I first met Chad, I, I brought that up to him just as a, I know. kind of an icebreaker, I guess. You were there, Kyle. We were at the golf deal. and I was like, I was like Chad, I, I like what you've done so far, but don't you dare switch to Under Armour. You kind of you like turn to the side like, oh, he, he knows I brokered that deal? Okay. He's this like, is just a reason. For, if you need anything, if you want to know anything about Under Armour, just remember those, those Army texas tech uniforms like three or four years ago uh, once i saw those i i, I was uh, somewhat of an under armor fan and then i was out immediately after that so they've yeah. they've made texas tech has made somewhat of a rebound but th- that was un- unforgettable i i will never forget that ever again so <laughs> i might have i might have gone a little far with the oklahoma state thing but as a as an individual athlete i would not have no issue signing with under armor gross yeah well <laughs> Uh, okay, Adam, thanks for your time, man. You, you've been doing some great stuff on the site, and we always enjoy hearing from you about uh, all things football. And, uh, yeah, we'll have you on again before before the NFL draft to uh, make some predictions on where everybody goes. Yeah, that sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. What, what kind of coop are you drinking this weekend? Uh, I mean, again, I, all I've had is, is the horny toad or whatever. So I guess that's what, that's the only one I can. Ah, I can drink. broaden your broaden your horizons, well, I don't, man. I don't I don't know how many um, I don't know how many are for sale down here. So I'll have to go check it out. Um, that Kyle way, lives down there. He'll he'll direct you. When when I come back on, I'll have tried another coop beer. That's my I know, promise. We'll, we'll, we'll have some at the draft. How about that? I know yeah, that some different places down here have uh, the F five. Like Central Market and I don't know different, whatever. But it's, yeah, it's maybe surprising because I know I'm a big guy, but I'm not. I'm a very light beer person. So F5 is like an IPA, right? Yeah, yeah. That'll that'll crush my life. Um, <laughs> I need I need the the ales or the blondes of the world. So right. we can hook you up with that. Yeah. So All that's right. my promise to you. 
<laughs> okay, Adam. All right. We'll talk to you later, buddy. See you. Okay, Carson. Um, it's good stuff. Our our uh, NFL Combine insider. Yeah, he's got one screen on uh, three cone drills, the other screen on the stock market. Who knew? I know. He's, he's so versatile. Stocks, yeah. It's unbelievable. I don't know um, what he's going to do now Once after the draft. He's going to have to well, <laughs> dive into spring football, I guess. NBA draft. Let's, uh, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and then we will come back and wrap things up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, We, you know what we haven't even talked about? Uh, no. The Kansas game. Oh, we didn't? No. How, how, how good was Kendall Smith? He was outrageous. Um, you know, I've kind of, uh, you, you put the poll question out, who's the most important player at OSU, and I've, I've said Mitchell Solomon, but I, I actually voted Kendall Smith on the poll, even though Solomon's, I think, the leading vote-getter. I, obviously, I think, I think Sol- Solomon does more for you, but I think Kendall is the difference in beating an elite team. As far as, you know, you, you got to have someone kind of be a star on the floor. And that's basically what he turns into in their biggest wins. And I think it's really, really been cool to see. Uh, you know, Mike Boynton kind of choked up in his press conference about Kendall. And Kendall really became the player they recruited. The guy they thought they could come in and be their starting point guard. He really blossomed into that player. So he's been the biggest key for OSU even being on the bubble. Yeah, that was my answer, too. I, I don't think that there's another answer. I, I just think that without him, you... I, well, I mean, you might go six and twelve in conference, four and fourteen. I, I, I don't know, um, but he's been he's been monumental, and what a cool ending to his career, Jeffrey Carroll's career, Mitchell Solomon's career, and, and Gallagher. But how about Mitchell Solomon going uh, pump fake and and uh, hammer on the? It's unbelievable. <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. He he played out out of his mind in the first half, and really the two wins over Kansas were just dominant. They led basically wire to wire in both games it was it was incredibly impressive i i thought they might win but i didn't think they would fly out dominate the way they did and uh yeah. so now mike, it's bedlam round three in kansas city that's gonna be a lot of fun mike boynton owns bill self remember remember when like the narrative and you and i were talking about this like man mike boynton's gonna have a hard time against bob huggins and bill self those i mean that's gonna be <laughs> tough he goes yeah. th- he goes three and one against them yeah i mean He's been awesome. <laughs> you got to give Mike Holder a lot of credit, man. I mean, that that hire was derided by everybody, and I think you know you can certainly criticize the hire as far as their due diligence and looking outside the current staff. But Mike Holder saw something in Mike Boynton, and yeah. um, now we're seeing it too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, Carson, uh, let's wrap this up, and uh, hopefully we will be talking about what uh, bracket Oklahoma State is in this time next week. Talking about Joe Lenardi. I don't, I don't read it, but it's garbage. <laughs> <laughs>
We might have to do a Monday pod if they're in a playing game on Tuesday. Yes, sir. I can't wait. I think they will be. Let's do it. Okay, Carson. We'll talk to you later, buddy. See ya. See ya.